1: So in today's episode, ladies, you're in for a real treat. We interviewed Jennifer Beatles, who for the last nine months has been traveling with her family. And what I love about what she has to say today, we got into so many great specifics around growing your portfolio and market analysis. But what really is very powerful is the power of going all in and on a niche and how important that is, especially in today's hot, hot, hot market.
2: Exactly. And one of the things that is really uh, a mind shift is that Jennifer shares that we all should be growing our portfolio not based on the number of doors we should be based on the cash flow and how that fits our lifestyle and I think that uh, you know that if we all think about it and and she gives very very specifics on how she was able to re- quote unquote retire her husband and really create the lifestyle that that her and her family love. Um, it is really down to earth episode and inspiring. So if you're looking to invest out of state and grow your portfolio that also fits your, your uh, lifestyle needs, this episode is for
1: you. So enjoy. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where we are on a very huge mission, and, and it's our passion to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. And we have Jennifer Beatles on our show today. Jennifer, thanks for taking some time to be with us here today. Hello, hello, ladies. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm just honored and thrilled to be here with you all today. You have such an amazing uh, background, and 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 I love love the things we're going to kind of get to. I'm selfishly very curious about some of the things you're up to right now. So, um, so it's all about me, and and really to serve my own needs, now. <laughs> <joking>. <laughs> but anyway, um, as we always like to kind of kick things off, as you all know, we love to kind of just share something quick with with you, our wonderful community, and thank you so much for being on on this journey with us. We always like to say, so, Andressa, what what is what is happening? How are you? Mm-hmm. What what is coming up for you? Well. You know,
2: uh, besides reading and listening to real estate books, business strategies, I also I'm big time in self-development. I, I awareness and making sure that I am as elevated in that sense as the other parts in my life. And I was listening to a couple of uh, podcasts this week about forgiveness and, and forgiving ourselves in a in a daily base. I was like, oh my gosh, that's kind of like heavy and, and deep. But, you know, here's the, hear me out on this. If you are taking your business to the next level, you are making mistakes and you are putting yourself in an area that it's like super uncomfortable. And we tend to beat ourselves so much. And we hear that voice right inside. It's ourselves in our own head. And yesterday, yesterday, I'm doing different things and I heard the voice. I was like, wow, you screwed up there or, or, uh, that's, that's something is off there. And I, it didn't stop. And I, and I started having a conversation with my own head saying, "What? Well, can you stop talking about that? And then I, I listened to this podcast about really you expressing forgiveness to yourself. And acknowledging that, yes, I forgive you for X, Y, and Z, and you're gonna do better. You're gonna uh, uh, learn from it, and you're going. You're a human being. You can make mistakes, and you're going to do better. And then I felt like when I when I literally said it to myself, I was like, okay, I forgave myself, or it, it felt like somebody else was forgiving me. For 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 my mistakes, and this was like a kind of like a first time for me because I usually don't pay attention to my my head, but it's coming up to me more because the more that we grow our community, the more that we step into other areas that we never thought that we'll be stepping into it, um, the stakes are higher. And the stakes are higher. The the um, my commitment, our commitment to our community, to the women out there, it's higher as well. So think about where you're going through in your life, in your business, and, and don't forget to to forgive yourself and, and, and pat yourself in the back because if you are making certain mistakes or screwing up here or there, it's because you're a mover and shaker. So <laughs> I just wanted to share that with, with all of you women out there that are listening to to us, because we sometimes tend to be very hard on ourselves. So I want to share that with you.
1: Love that. I love that. And, and, you know, it's fascinating about, I think if I can make a generalization of women, we're so quick to forgive others and we just give that away so easily and and no, no problem, no problem, but we are really, it's harder to forgive ourselves. Right. So love that. Great suggestion. Take that into our, our personal and professional lives. Right. Yeah. So, as we kick things off, Jennifer, we always like to kind of get into women's story and ask them what propelled you to get involved in real estate investing?
0: Oh, fantastic question. Um, what really propelled me to get uh, into real estate investing was when I purchased my first home. And I was 21 years old and I was working two different jobs so that I could afford to, to purchase my first home. And I realized a couple of things throughout that transaction. One, I saw how much the real estate agent made by showing me one house. And then number two, I saw the possibilities of building wealth through real estate investing. And so I decided um, pretty quickly after I think a couple of months within purchasing that home that I wanted to get into real estate. I just wasn't sure in what capacity. I wasn't quite ready to go into full-time sales. Um, And so I got hired on with a builder developer and really my whole world just opened up. Um, you know, then I learned about land development. I, I understood cost estimating. I understood um, how to do short plots and permitting and AutoCAD. Um, leasing, I mean, really just kind of went all in. And within, let's see, um, it probably took about six months for me to do my second deal, uh, which was partnering with my parents. Again, I was 21 years old, so I didn't really have much money and I convinced my parents that they should be my partner. And we partnered on a duplex and really just kind of rest is history. Um, just got really, really excited to kind of get in. Um, the downside to that was it was 2007.
1: <laughs> so, oh, <huh>. yeah, okay. <laughs> so we, all,
0: we all knew what, uh, what, you know, Seattle is, is uh, where I come from. And it's about 18 months behind the rest of the country. So things were pretty good in Seattle actually in 2007 and then 2008, you know, summer of 2008 hit and mm. it, it was not so good. So I found myself with uh, two properties that were underwater and, um, you know, a little disappointed about, uh, you know, that in my real estate journey. But again, I learned a lot of lessons kind of through that and um, really had to buy right.
2: Exactly. So for, for everybody that are, are, are listening, if you are 20 years old, please just like that's like the killer formula go work for somebody i don't even know if you need to make any money if you're living in your parents of course you should make some so you can help them out but the focus is on the on the learning here i wish i was I had that mentality then I was looking for a job at 21 uh, was not focusing on okay what can I learn here The skill set that I can learn here so thinking about that and the lessons that that you learn then what are the lessons that you learn that you apply for your next move and what was specifically strategy did you shift right away or did you test different waters how did you decide it you had two properties underwater what path did you take after that?
0: Yeah, well, that was a really good lesson to, earn, to learn early on. <laughs> so uh, what I learned from that experience is uh, you need to have more than one strategy when you're buying a property. So I was buying these properties. And my assumption at the time was, and actually this is what everyone kind of told me, uh, was that real estate doubles every 10 years. And so it doesn't matter if you're cash flow negative. That, that first duplex that I had mentioned, it was cash flow negative $800 a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a little painful, uh, painful lesson. Um, So first things first is don't buy a property with just one winning strategy. So now, um, of course, through that, I learned buy for cash flow, cash flow first. And then um, also, you know, kind of be prepared for potential downturns. Um, The next thing is I learned how to get really good at operations. And so I turned that negative $800 a month into positive $500 a month. So Delta, about $1,300 a month, um, pretty quickly. And so I learned that through um, doing rent increases. We were also able to do a refinance on the property, uh, lowering that monthly mortgage payment. Um, so that was really key. And then the next thing was um, really just kind of learning how to build my team um, and surround myself with other people who are living the lifestyle that I want to live. And so again, I mean, prior to that, everyone was kind of, you know, I was hanging out with a lot of real estate agents and people who were flipping houses and everyone said, oh, we well, just buy real estate. It's going to double in 10 years. Sure. You're going to have to pay a couple hundred dollars a month to keep it. But, you know, in 10 years, you're going to be a millionaire, right? So at 21 years old, that was my, uh, that was kind of my, my vision for what investing would look like. And then 2008 gave me that really great lesson, which is real estate does not always go up. So you have to really focus on the long term, and you have to um, make sure that the deal makes sense on day one.
1: Yeah, and and now you fast forward, right? Because I, you know, lived through that time of 08 and and yeah, it was just like a, do- a tough time, you know. And, and 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 it was a tough time in our business too, just because we weren't, we didn't know what we didn't know, and you know, we were in assets we shouldn't have been, and then obviously the economy doesn't doesn't help, right? But but you you clearly made it through, and now you're thriving in the in this. Hot market, totally different market, what we're, what mm. we're going through right now. And, and you talk a lot about niche investing as, a, as mm. a really important strategy. And I love that because in so many ways, people are just complaining about not finding deals and did it to do. And there's just a lot of complaints out there in our space, right? Of investing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I forget who I was talking to, but I kind of, we were talking about this idea of going all in on, on one key thing, One niche. So talk a little bit about your strategy. How did you, what niche do you focus on and how? why is that so important, especially, quite honestly, in any market, but why is it so important Mm -hmm. right, right now in today's market?
0: Absolutely. Well, what you focus on expands. And so I I meet a lot of investors who are doing flipping and then they're wanting to do buy and hold and and kind of venture off into self-storage and try to do all of these things. And a lot of times I don't see those people succeeding at a high level because their focus is in so many different areas. And it's really hard to uh, to make that happen when you're trying to do so many different things. And so uh, I was there in the beginning. Again, we were doing a spec home building. My husband and I, we were doing flips. We were trying to build our rental portfolio, but it was a little bit tough. It was a mindset shift because we could flip a home or we could build a home and sell it. And it was so profitable. That one-time profit was so fantastic that we actually had people saying, well, why then would you go and buy a rental property to make $500 a month? when you can flip a house and make maybe 50. Jennifer, that doesn't make sense. And so, um, but what what they, you know, I think we were missing and they were missing at the time is that that's a one-time profit. You sell that property, you get the money, you pay a lot in tax <laughs> on
2: that. Right. Yep, yeah. or just a quick income. disclosure for you guys that are not taking that capital gains as in consideration, right? It's not like 50 grand- free and clear. <laughs> uh-uh. got to pay, got to pay uncle Sam uh, yeah.
0: from those profits. And so, but we realized with uh, you know, with our long-term buy and hold that it was kind of snowballing over time. And then we had the benefit to do a cash out refinance and get that 50 grand in our pocket tax-free. And it was kind of like, Uh, okay, (laughs) this is, this is the winning strategy. And so to your point, Liz, or to, or to, you know, your question, why is it important to niche down is again, I think that when you focus, then you can get really good. I had mentioned, I got really good at operations. um, And then we were able to, you know, really kind of expand our portfolio by just focusing on that. And so instead of flipping properties, we said, okay, we're going to put a pause on that. And instead we're going to flip to hold meaning we're going to buy the same kind of flips that we would, but we're going to keep them as rentals. So we're going to do a cash out refinance, get that money back in our pocket, not pay tax on it, but then have that residual monthly cash flow for the rest of our lives. And so once we made that mental shift, um, again, I mean, our whole world opened up, we had a lot of more time and freedom. Um, Now with that, we have niched down in the buy and hold space. So, I mean, even to this day, we do um, supported living, which is uh, renting out to people with intellectual disabilities. And so this allows us essentially a 0% vacancy rate. Our tenants stay on average 10 years or longer. Uh, We get uh, all the funding is through the state and federal level. And so we often earn higher income. We're able to net more. And so we can buy these smaller properties and they're highly profitable. Um so that's a niche that that we focus on. We also do build to rent. And so we can build duplexes again small multifamily. We we really kind of um I'm not one that's going for unit count. I'm going for how many uh how much cash flow can I get that's going to support my lifestyle so that my family and I can go and travel and have our free time and you know focus on on that. Um so you know build to rent is another one that we do. Of course out of state investing um we've been doing that for about the last 5 years. Uh, investing outside of Seattle. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of opportunity to niche down in one area of the business, which for us is buy and hold.
2: It, I want to emphasize what you just said, because I think that I hear so much about the question, like, how many doors do you own? Like, that. That said, that, that question should be, like, eliminated for everybody's vocabulary. In, in conferences and anything else because it really doesn't matter to the person that uh, okay, does it matter if the person says five, a hundred, two thousand? it doesn't really matter. The, the emphasis as, as you were saying Jennifer, it's what I also believe like talk to me about the cash flow and it mm-hmm. does that support my lifestyle. Last time that I talked to you, you were, um, you were traveling with your family. You are you were on the road, so you're you're not just talking about it, but you're like walking the walk, and you are able to do that with different things that you put in place, especially out of state investing. Uh, I want to go there for for a little bit because a lot of people are facing really high prices around the, their backyard, and they're like, oh my gosh, I I just can't do this here anymore, and they're very like hesitant in thinking about how the hell I'm going to do out of state if over here is a still work? I can't imagine out of state. So for those folks that are thinking about that, what would you say will be their first steps in order for them to get out of their comfort zone and and, and break that, that shell and benefit from out of state investing? What would you say?
0: Yeah, excellent question. Um, well, and I will acknowledge the concern of investing out of state. It actually took me nine years uh, of investing locally before I felt comfortable investing out of state. And so I think the f- number one thing is to get clarity on exactly what your criteria is. Um, if you don't know what you're looking for, it's going to be really hard for an agent to identify properties that meet your criteria if you're not clear on that. So that is number one. And then number two is it's incredibly important that you are investing in markets where more people are moving to versus leaving. And so anytime I've had an investor call me with uh, you know, potentially negative experience investing out of state. The first question I, I ask is, what city are you investing in? What types of neighborhoods are you investing in? Because of course the types of properties that you buy and the neighborhoods that you buy in, those are the kind of tenants you're going to attract. And so if you're buying A-class, to, uh, properties you're likely going to be attracting A-class tenants, right? Tenants that are willing to pay more for more luxuries, um, and same thing down the line. So if you're investing in high crime areas, you're likely going to be renting to people who are going to be participating in the crime of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it's incredibly important. A lot of times I think investors think, well, I am you know live in LA or I live in Seattle or live in you know DC, and property manager's going to handle it. Doesn't really matter where you know what I buy and where I buy, and it does. It really does. I mean, if you get into a bad neighborhood in a bad city where more people are leaving than coming in, it's going to be a really poor experience for you. It's going to be hard to find good tenants that are going to stay and pay. And potentially, if you're um, again investing in those um, you know high crime areas or, or areas where people just don't want to you know be in, um, then you're likely going to have um, high turnover costs that can wipe out an entire year of cash flow. And so, um, the neighborhoods that you're investing is in is incredibly important, and the team. Um, So I I can work with any type of real estate agent, um, but really the property manager is the key. So the property manager is going to be your eyes and ears. Ideally, you're working with a property manager who also does project management. So I like to buy, uh, you know, BC class properties that are have some value add, right? Meaning um, there's some deferred maintenance or um, the rents are lower than fair market. And so I want to hire a property manager that can bring in a contractor that they will go out and take pictures every single week. I'll pay them of course, extra for this. um, And they will oversee the renovation for me so that I can take on some of these properties. Um, But for me, I'm in six different markets now in five different States and I've actually found that it is easier for me to get into out-of-state markets than it is in my local market because I have to be hands-off. And so I think some investors think that that's scary but really, if you have a system and process in place and you have multiple um, people looking at the deal for you, then to me, again, it takes less time. Um, the financial barrier to entry is much lower. So, I mean, for, for what a uh, you know, nineteen fifty single family house uh, that's a fixer upper in Seattle would cost, I can get 10, 15 units uh, that's you know built in the nineties in Tennessee. Right, and so to me, again, I think that that's a lot risk, a lot less risky, if you can get into nicer, newer properties where people are moving to, and you've got the entire team to handle that for you.
1: Yeah, I love what you're saying, Jennifer, because I know we were inv- we were investing eight eight years before we started to go out of state. And we were really nervous about that, right? You get really like, oh my god, I don't think this can happen. It was an hour and a half from our house. It wasn't even like, it wasn't across the country. Generally, Jersey an people, I love yeah. you guys. You just, you just you still, stay in Jersey, you're talking and you're about like about Jersey and PA, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that was neighbors. out of state. We're neighbors. I know, but it was out of state. It was. <laughs> it, it, it was. It felt like it felt like it was just such an overwhelming feeling. But that 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 was five years ago and our port we were able to you know quadruple our portfolio as a result because it forces you to scale because mm-hmm. now you go an hour and a half and you're like where else can we go and now we we yeah. invest you know in the southeast and we do much less in our neighborhood if you will mm-hmm. our, our backyard or where we got our start and to my point i love what you're saying though and i want i want the women listening to hear what you said often women feel forced to go out of state what if they change that completely upside down and didn't actually think that they actually thought regardless, I should go out of state. So it causes me, right, to to get, you know, take the reins out of the control, build a team, especially if you wanna be an investor to scale. And again, scaling could be five to 50 units. Scaling doesn't Mm -hmm. mean to be a thousand units. Scaling is just a term uh, where you're able to have the lifestyle you want. So I love what you're saying, because that's a really good paradigm shift versus Mm -hmm. like, oh, I need to do this because the market's so hot, versus I get to do this and look at what it's gonna do Right for me and my business, and letting go, and 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 God, that was the best thing we did five years ago, hands down. The time it felt overwhelming and like this is nervous, and we're you know maybe our leasing agent can get out there. We really considered that mm-hmm. when we were talking about. We're like maybe they could just drive and do all the showings and come back. Like we were really trying to figure <laughs> it out. And God, yeah. I'm so glad we we not decided to hire a property manager company. <laughs> you know, I'm so happy. But um, I love what you're saying because it is a paradigm shift and. I think we need to do that more often is to say what is this mm-hmm. going to give me what is this going to yield and yeah. any successful investor that's st- going out of state will tell say to say the same thing this causes okay. you to get your team in place your processes yep. in place because you can't be there in 5 minutes so mm-hmm. what do you have to do I'm curious to hear from the, how did you choose these areas? What's some of that criteria? Like, what are your like go-to analysis, if you will? Like, how do you, you know, what are your, what's your sweet spot?
0: Yeah. So in the very beginning, I chose Indianapolis. um, And mostly what I I was looking to do was target two to three markets and then start to build a team and then decide the best team (laughs) that I was going to work with them. And so- um, yeah, yeah, and so I started with Indianapolis mostly because um, I had recognized that w- what I like to do is go back to the the last recession and see how that market performed. And Indianapolis did not have that big dip like Seattle, like you know Phoenix, like Florida, um, Las Vegas, a lot of the other markets. And so I found myself with you know my entire portfolio in Seattle and said, okay, I want some location diversification. Where can I go that's going to be very different than Seattle so that I can get that location diversification? So I started with Indianapolis. Um, you know, there, there wasn't, uh, you know, massive population growth there, but it was stable steady. And, um, and then the next thing is I looked and I said, OK, there's some job diversification here. There's really it's not a one employer town. They've got multiple universities. Uh, you know, they've got the ND 500. They've got a lot of um, other automotive and, you know, different industries uh, in Indianapolis. So I liked that. Um, and then the next thing is the properties were incredibly affordable. And so I bought that first duplex for 155,000. We rented it out for 2235, which to me I mean that was like we were getting a 15% cash on cash return. Um, so that was fantastic. And now today though how I evaluate markets is I am really looking for uh, markets where most people are moving to. So I'm investing in Idaho. I'm investing in Tennessee, in Texas. Um, and in, in places where, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing this population migration shift, uh, p- partly due to COVID, but it had, it had kind of started pre-COVID and then I think COVID accelerated it. So anyone that was thinking, oh, eventually I'm going to move from LA to Nashville, yeah. uh, the COVID said, now is the time. <laughs> so <Go>. everybody was <laughs> like, I'm going to get <laughs> a hell out of the city. I'm
1: out.
2: <laughs> no, right. Yeah. Right.
0: And so I, yeah, I really just kind of go through uh, the economics and trends and demographics of these markets is where are people moving to? Where can I find still really great price to rent ratios? Um, And how can I get into these markets before every other investor? Um, So I kind of tend to stay out of the really hot markets that, you know, I'm here in Phoenix, but, um, you know, kind of stay out of the, the markets that are just really, really hot. Um, that every other investor is looking to get into. I just like the boring, stable, steady, high cash flow, high return. Um, I'm gonna expect rent increases over time. I'm gonna expect the values to go up uh, because the the trends in the market are just really fantastic. Um, and so really I just, I start with the data. And then after I've decided this is the market I wanna be in, then I go and build the team.
2: Now let me ask you a quick question, uh, following the criteria. Um, And I learned this from, from um, doing our criteria for apartment building, we have like a quote unquote, you criteria. So our, Mm. our criteria is that we don't want to be, we want to be an hour from an airport. We don't want to drive more, more than that. So it has nothing to do with with the market, has nothing to do with the neighborhood, has to do with us. So it's Mm -hmm. something that needs to fulfill our needs. Do you have something like that, that it needs to fulfill your or your family needs? Um, So we do like
0: to be within a one hour radius of a major city. And so um, that's actually, I mean, all of our rentals are within a one hour radius of a major city that a lot of people are moving to. Um, And then it's really fun. You know, it's, we own a couple of properties um, just outside of Nashville and it's really fun to be able to go to Nashville and write that trip off. Uh, I go and yeah. visit our little apartment complexes, um, but other than that, yeah, I'm really just numbers driven. Um, you know what? What can I cash flow? What are these units going to do to um, our lifestyle? Continue to fund our lifestyle.
2: So let me pick back on that because um, lifestyle is is. is- is a big thing for, for you and, and your family. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we're just thinking about, okay, I'm going to grow my portfolio. And then you're like running yourselves to the ground um, and not really living the lifestyle. So share with us, because I, I think that you can also inspire others to, to do the same. How does your, your real estate business kind of merit your, your lifestyle and how do you make it work?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll back up to your, your first point about, um, you're doing all of these things and then you don't have the freedom that was the purpose for investing. Right. Uh, so, so we were there. Um, my husband, so we were able to replace his salary in 2014. And so he, uh, so he quit actually, I think his last day was, um, yeah, in December of 2014 when our daughter was born. Um, and then he, he kind of jokes that he re- retired, quote unquote, retired, but then ended up working more in our rental portfolio than he was at his W-2. And so we found ourselves kind of at this inflection point in 2016, where we said, well, wait a second, we've been working really hard to build our portfolio. And yet we don't have the freedom that like, like we didn't, we accomplished our financial goals and yet we, we missed out on the lifestyle goals. right And so we, we didn't have this freedom. Um, and so we said, okay, we, we need to like rejig this here. Uh, we need to shift onto, okay, so how can our, our portfolio give us the freedom? And there, and really that was actually our purpose for going out of state. And my husband was really concerned about it. And he said, well, we have every, all our systems, all our people, everything here in Seattle. <laughs> and so like, how are we going to do this out of state? Um, and so anyways, um, we made it happen. And, and I think having that guiding light to your point in is, uh, so what is your lifestyle going to look like? And so today, uh, fast forward to today and we've been traveling, um, it's actually going to be nine months next week, full-time as a family, uh, in our RV. So we've chosen to, uh, travel for the last nine months across the United States. We've been to, I think 22 or 23 different States. Uh, we are leaving in about 20 days to go spend the summer in Europe. And so um, we'll spend most of July through October traveling around in Europe. Um, and the only reason we have this freedom is because our rental portfolio allows us to do that. We can be location independent, remote, anywhere in the world and still operate and run our rental portfolio. Um, but it definitely took at first it took a mindset shift of um releasing and relinquishing the control (laughs) and not having to play a part in every little piece of the business. Um, I think, especially for me, and I I see this with a lot of women is we are natural, like project managers. We want to go in and get in and we have a lot of drive and we want to make these things happen. Um, How, and, and that's, that serves you, but there also has to be a plan to step back. And so again, for us that inflection point was 2016 when we realized We've done a lot here, but we don't. Have, we, we we couldn't have gone and taken a two-week vacation the way that we had set our business up, um, and so yeah, it was, it was time for a pivot. And today, we probably spend maybe um, maybe five hours a month or so, um, maybe a little bit more time as we're in acquisition mode. You know, writing offers and doing negotiations and things. But once we get a property uh, into performance in our portfolio, then it's just it kind of set it and forget it.
1: That's I also was going to ask you too as a follow up to that. Is are you? Are you maintaining your portfolio or growing it? So it sounds like you're doing yes. both still. Oh, absolutely.
0: Um, these days we're writing a lot of offers. <laughs> it's taking more offers, uh, you know, out there to get a to get a deal. Um, but again, for us, you know, it, it's not about unit count. So, Andressa, I 100% agree with you. I wish we could kind of, uh, you know, remove that as a success metric. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I go to real estate conferences and, and it's kind of interesting. It's like the first thing that people ask is well, how many units do you own? And that is not an accurate measure of success. It, it's not. I mean, it really, it should be, what does your lifestyle look like? Yeah. What's your real estate do for you? What is your net profit on your rental properties? I've met people with thousands of units that uh, aren't making enough to quit their W-2 and, and maybe they love it and that's okay. Um, but yeah it's it's really you know for us it's not about unit count it's about let's add more units so that we can go and have more fun
1: awesome and 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 having that clarity whatever whatever works for you and and whatever Hmm. it sounds like that's bringing you so much joy is is so important right and and you know it's amazing that you're doing that i love it and that you're exposing your kids to it that's that's awesome Hmm. and and you're feeling fulfilled isn't that what investing is all about right and fulfilled. Wh- how you define fulfilled? I think that's wonderful and awesome, and, and certainly an inspiration. Um, where can um, the ladies listening learn more about you and all your travels? And could they can they follow you along and wherever you're going? That was kind of cool. In terms of, I guess, social media, not in person. That would be a little weird. But <laughs> oh my god. Oh yeah.
0: Well, you know, we used to do these really fun group investor trips and we'd invite people out to these different cities and we'd go shop for properties and kind of do these Hmm. little masterminds. And I'm really hoping that we can get back to that next year um, because we just had a blast meeting, meeting different people from all across the country. Um, But yeah, if you want to follow my travels, um, uh, Jennifer Beatles one on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then if you want to learn more kind of about, about what we're doing, um, addicted to ROI is our, is our website for uh, real estate investors. And then we also work with real estate agents across the country. So again, I'm always shopping for deals. We always have investors who are looking for deals. If you're an agent that works with investors, um, check us out at agentsinvest.com.
2: That's awesome. So all this information is going to be on our show notes, and we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one, Jennifer, is what's the most transformational book you ever read? Four our work week. Yeah, right. It's right. Love it. Here you have it, <laughs> right there. A girl after my own heart. Yes. yes. <laughs> the second is, what's the most powerful routine you do to live a financially free and balanced life? Whatever balance means to you.
0: Oh, two things: uh, meditation, daily meditation, and then one is revisiting my portfolio every single month.
2: Awesome. Do you revisit by yourself, with your team members, or your spouse? With my husband. Okay. Great. And the third and last question is which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most?
0: Ooh. Liz Faircloth. Yeah, oh, there we go. <laughs> you're funny. I lo- I- Liz, I love your morning jog. Oh, um, that's cute. It's, just, it's so
1: fun to watch. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I have the time, I'm like, is anyone watching this? So that's good. I'm glad you're watching. Oh, I'm watching Liz. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it so much. Oh, <laughs> you're sweet. I'll send you a check where well I don't know where I where I can send that check to you because you're traveling, but my corny joke. But Jennifer, thanks so much for being on here today. Thanks for sharing all your great nuggets and what you're up to and excited to see where you go and what you're creating. You're creating something wonderful. So thanks so much for all your time.
0: Oh, thank you both so much. It's been my honor. It's been an honor and my pleasure.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews